Hey, this is Chuck Marone uh, with Strong Towns. I'm actually at the Peary Hotel at CNU 21. I'm sitting here in the lobby and trying to snag people as they come by to get uh, their big idea, the thing that they're working on. And uh, we'll see how this goes. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. All right, I've got Grant Humphreys with me. Uh, Grant has got a big idea he's working on. Uh, this is a podcast about big ideas. Grant, why don't you, first of all, introduce yourself and what, you, what your background is and what you do so that people know who you are. Sure. I'm the uh, town founder of a new town called Carlton Landing, which is located on Lake Eufaula in eastern Oklahoma. And we're a, a resort and year-round community town. Okay. Uh, it's a 950-acre master plan that's in its second year of of uh, evolution and we're seeing a lot sell and homes come out of the ground and folks looking for a, a lake experience without a lot of the hassle have you chatted with people from back home after the the tornado incident of the last yeah. last 24 hours yesterday was a another tough day that oklahoma's had a uh, probably the toughest tornado season that i can remember yeah um, yeah and so I, I connected with folks this morning and and um, we've never had a tornado come through Carlton Landing area. Okay. Um, we've had some near there 35 years ago. Sure, but sure. This morning, I mean, we had some trees down. The storm was pretty intense, but mm-hmm. thankfully no one was hurt. Well, let's talk about this development. And there's a couple things we were going to bring up. First of all, kind of the incremental phasing of things. Uh, we are in a hyper-efficient kind of model, like to go out and put, you know, as engineers, put everything in all at once and get it right. all nice. And then the builders come in and you've got this problem then. How are you guys doing it a little bit differently? You know, our first phase of, of Carlton Landing, the master plan provides for about 2,700 homes over a 30-year period. And so it's all going to be incremental phasing. Sure. Just short expansions each year of the necessary paving and infrastructure to uh, to grow the town. We started with 180 lots of utilities and we brought in our, our you know water, gas, sewer, and uh, fiber and electric. But in the ways that we did the paving, in some cases we paved the front of the lots, in other cases we left them just open dirt for construction. All of the utilities are alley accessed, and in the alleys we just went ahead and did a 12-foot wide gravel lane in the back with 6-foot landscape buffers on either side. What that allows us to do is during the construction period when the builders are going to tear up all your sidewalks, tear up all of your infrastructure anyways, they're dealing with permeable materials, things that you can patch easily, and um, and so we've seen a lot of benefit in just acknowledging the fact that the construction period is going to be a mess and anything that is in its pristine final form uh, right before the builders show up is going to suffer and so um, we've right now we've got you know 38 homes that are either built or under construction and as the home is finished then we put in the sidewalk in front of that area we go ahead and dress out the alley in the back yeah. and we finish that lot and it gives it some time and then in the future as the homeowners wish to go from just a gravel lane in the back to more intensive paving they can do that in the future okay okay incrementally do, do you uh you know obviously from a, just a pure economic standpoint it, it would be more efficient to go in and 
pave the whole thing now. You know, do do it all at once. Kind of a quantities of scale kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What? Talk about the economics of doing it this way. Does it make, I mean, obviously it must make more sense for you. For us, I mean, we, we look at trying to find a balance between getting that economies of scale. In our pro forma, we expected to sell just 30 lots in the first year. Okay. It didn't make sense for us to develop out just 30 lots. Yeah. We brought in 180 lots worth of infrastructure, which really takes care of us through the first three to four years. Okay. Um, and so there's a balance there. Right. Um, the... The big thing is in the built environment, the public realm, going in and looking at the front of the lot and if it's alley access, the rear of the lot as well, as something that is going to take a hit during construction and needs to be done in a way that can be patched incrementally. And so in the ways that we you know, select sidewalk materials, we're using decomposed granite, some permeable surfaces, sure, um, using the gravel lanes and going with a very light imprint type of infrastructure. Um, we worked with a, a gentleman named Tom Lowe from DPZ's Absolutely. Charlotte office. Yeah. And Carlton Landing, we got to implement, um, I think, some of the best collection of light imprint tools that's been done to date. Um, all of our um, public realm landscape is intentionally designed to help in the stormwater management. And even though we've got a you know, 180 lots that are, are constructed with utilities, we don't have any pipe and gutter system in the whole project. Okay. Everything's handled on the surface. Wow. So um, that, that cuts down cost enormously. That cuts down cost dramatically. Yeah, right. we've, we've got a really rocky, hilly terrain near mm-hmm. Lake Eufaula. Okay. You can imagine the slopes going down to the lake. It's this beautiful, natural, scenic uh, element, but with a lot of rock. And so whenever you try to, if we were to drop a, a 36-inch storm drain line in, um, it'd be incredibly expensive. So light imprint helps us daylight that rainwater yeah and celebrate those rain events even with the storm that came through last night sure getting three inches in an hour in some places in the state um the light imprint system worked well for us okay how are you enjoying seeing you this year i love it yeah this is a good no this is a great congress we're learning a lot and um you've got a lot of great ideas great practitioners here yeah we do it's been exciting what's been your favorite part so far you know i honestly last night we went to this session um there's a guy named clay chapman who is out of Atlanta, Georgia, and he is working on how to build a structural masonry home that could last a thousand years. Wasn't that brilliant? It was fantastic. Oh my gosh, it was mind blowing. And just yeah. seeing seeing the craft in his work, yep. and seeing um, the craft. Yeah, it it was it was uh, it, it almost was depressing to me, in the sense that I had this realization as he's showing his really the slides of how he did this. Mm-hmm. That this was somewhat common knowledge a hundred years ago. Right. You know, like there were people in every community who had this specific skill. And I mean, I, I, he's got to be one of a tiny handful of people in the nation that can do this. Yeah. I mean, that trade and that, that not just the skill set, the trade, but also the attitude, the appreciation for one skill is an endangered species. Right. And, uh, Clay's bringing it back and, and we're excited to support that and see him do great things. It's so, brilliant. Yeah. You can check his stuff out at um, hopeforarchitecture.com and okay. then our site's carltonlanding.com. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Well, if I make it down to Oklahoma, which we've had a number of requests, yeah. I will look up Carlton Landing. Come on out. How f- where are you at in the state? We're two hours east of Oklahoma City. Oh, okay. We're three hours north of Dallas. And we're okay. just an hour and a half outside of Tulsa or Fort Smith. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty place. Well, good luck with the project. Thanks a lot, Chuck. Thanks, Grant. Take care. Bye.
right, we're here back in the, the lobby of the Peary Hotel talking about big ideas, and there's no one with bigger ideas than Katia Hansen. <laughs> Katia, pull the microphone up so that you're talking. How are you doing this morning? I am good. I am surprised that I'm awake. You know, I might have to. Do you guys want a latte? No? Okay, I'm good. She's also working here, so she is. Uh, she may have to go sling some coffee here. <laughs> if we got to break away, that's fine. Okay. Um, talk to me about the, the IOB project that you're involved in. Um, okay, so IOB stands for In Our Backyards, yeah. um, as an opposite to NIMBY, and the idea is to work for the positive things that we do want in our neighborhoods as a footpost to fight against the negative things that we don't want in our neighborhoods. Um, and IOB basically brings a whole bunch of different resources to bear um, on on the neighborhood. Um, we are citizen-led uh, and neighbor-funded. We are a 501c3 crowd resourcing platform. So crowd resourcing comes from crowdfunding and resource organizing. You need more than just money in order to achieve um, achieve your aims, especially when what you're trying to do is repair a neighborhood, build community. Um, so with IOB kind of at a, at a base level, you know, we accept tax-deductible donations um, and we pass them through and act as fiscal agent for uh, any group of people who have an idea for how to make their neighborhood better. Um, but we also do a lot of other things. Um, we help people take uh, it from the, the point of having an idea uh, and develop it into a feasible, implementable project. Um, and then also to make sure that that project comes off successfully. So where you have Kickstarter, which is, you know, made a name for itself, um, they don't really have any personal touch. You know, they, they don't have a stake in each project being a success. With IOB, we come from the standpoint that we're doing this because we want to rebuild community. We want to kind of pull this thing out of the fire. Right. Um, so we really care about getting projects in the door and getting projects successfully implemented. Um, and these projects span the range from your community garden, uh, your bike ride, um, all the way to this guy did a project called Don't Flush Me. Um, <laughs> okay. And basically he crawled through a bunch of sewers in Brooklyn and installed these little devices that monitored the water levels. So when you have about, when the water gets up to 65% capacity in the storm sewers, it sends um, text, email, whatever alerts to everybody in the area and says, please restrict your water use wow. so we can avoid a combined sewage overflow. So he, he did that on IOB, piloted it in Brooklyn, and now he's launching it nationwide wow. and anywhere that has combined sewer systems. Sure. Um, so it's really any, any idea that's going to improve a neighborhood, that's going to have some sort of an impact on you know, the negative things that we face, but also, much more importantly, the positive things that we want to affect. So um, IOB started in Brooklyn a little over three years ago, mm -hmm. uh, expanded to New York two years ago, expanded nationwide just over a year ago. Um, and I'm working in Miami where the Miami-Dade County Office of Sustainability got wind of this and said, you know, this is the perfect way to implement our sustainability plan, our award-winning sustainability plan at the citizen level. Right. Um, so about 70% of my time is spent going out and meeting people and talk to them about their ideas, helping them develop them into those projects, connecting them to the local, regional, and the national resources that we have at IOB. And then about 30% of my time is spent working with Miami-Dade County and the 37 municipalities within to identify the barriers to this type of thing taking place. So I get to work it from both sides, okay. and it's wonderful. This is micro, 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 right? <laughs> My, well, it's, it's, it's micro, 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 but... Um, but you're not funding, like, municipal-type projects. I mean, like, you, you, the thing is, is that there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who are going to think, wow, I, maybe we can get our 
old economy, you know, project, like a, like a grant oh. to help us with our sewer system expansion. Yeah, absolutely not. You're talking about very uh, small-scale initiatives that are citizen-led. Yeah. Our, our average project budget is somewhere between three hundred and five thousand dollars okay. We do have projects that are $20,000, $50,000, $100,000, and right now we're working on a $400,000 project in uh, Brooklyn for a second High Line um, sure. park there. But yeah, in general, they're much, much smaller. Um, our average donation is $35. Our average donor lives within the New York area within a mile of the project and nationally within two projects. So the people who are getting involved largely have their interest in seeing the projects come to fruition. Right. Wow. It's just a, it's an incredibly inspiring platform because it fills the void that is needed at that, at that base level because you have all kinds of people with ideas. And other people with money who want to see ideas happen. And it's, and it's such a beautiful thing. I mean, right. Some of these things you can pull off with all you need is the empty lot and the soil and the volunteers to come and plant, you know, plant it and make it happen. Right. How do we uh, get a hold of you and how do we get a hold of the, the project? Um, it's IOBY.org. Yep. Um, and from there you can do all sorts of stuff. And I'm K-A-R-J-A at IOBY.org. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and make an offer for... Um, for anybody who uh, references Strong Towns with their project, we'll figure out some special little perk. Sweet. And I'll, I'll let you know about it, and you can post it with the show. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Katya. Thank you. Oh, good. I didn't stay out late. That's right. All right, I have the Howard Blackson, <laughs> placemaker extraordinaire. And what did I, how did I introduce you the other Indie car driver? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just with my rental car. Uh, yeah, well, that's because, you know, I don't own a car. Right. Um, I have the rental car, the car to go, and a bicycle get me around town. My wife has the car, of course, but um, that's how I, that's why I drive. So I'm so excited to be behind the wheel. <laughs> Well, and some some of those San Diego streets are just so inviting to speed down too, aren't they? Eighty foot right right away, uh, usually, and uh, where the plats came together and they put two full streets, you'd get wider, and yeah, it's an amazing an amazing racetrack and so, beautiful too. So two nights ago, you were part of the uh, the next gen debate. Last night, you were part of the placemakers dance party. How are you going to top that tonight? Well, you know, tonight actually, I'm going to. I leave town. Oh no! <laughs> um, while I'm on top, no, I didn't. You know, <laughs> I don't know who. I can't remember Bruce Donnelly and Paul Crabtree and and you. Yeah, yeah. And we're we're going to talk about how we're going to try to um, make strong towns through, uh, I guess, um, some sort of public pro not public processing, some sort of subsidiary yeah. uh, processes. Yeah. And I, and I think I'm going to turn mine around because. To be honest, I don't have my decision districts figured out. Okay. So with the group that we have, I think I'm just going to ask questions and try to get some feedback that I can take home with me to use. This is our open innovation session this afternoon. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I actually am sitting here, kind of half doing the, the trying to get people for the podcast and half trying to figure out what I'm going to say. I have <laughs> so to do the, the same, same thing. thing. Yeah. Now, are you going to watch Arrested Development with Ian and everybody? When are they doing that? Ten o'clock. Ooh. So we're not recording right now. Yeah, we are. <laughs> That's in half an hour, huh? <laughs> I know. So I'm going to have to run and do that. I have to get coffee and I have to get something to eat, too. They're, are they coming here or is he doing it at his, like, 2995 hotel <laughs> on the other side of town? <laughs> and freeze. His mom works for a company that works for a company. Uh, yeah, he said it was going to be at 10 o'clock here at the Perry. 
And no, that was my mom that texted me. So. Okay. Well, I'll keep an eye open for him. Ha- Howard, tell me one, the, the whole thing, thread of this podcast today, I'm trying to pull people in and say, what's the, like, the big idea you're working on? I know mm. you have a, a thousand big ideas, but can you share one with us that you or the placemakers have going on right now that you guys are excited about? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, big ideas. I have two. I, I live in. I live kind of in two realms. I have the city of San Diego and the things I do in San Diego, um, and then I have the placemakers, which is more of a national uh, uh, um, uh, work. And uh, we're doing a project in Florida. It's um, the way it was presented to us is we, we want an implementation zoning ordinance. But of course, it's never that easy because the comp plan was highly political and the and and not, nobody likes each other and everybody's angry. So what we're excited about doing is taking the uh, our usual week long charrette, um, which this is the scale that needs to be that much that, that long. We're teaming with DPZ. We're teaming with you. Okay. We're teaming yeah. with the uh, uh, Center for Neighborhood Technology. We're teaming with Ian Rasmussen. We're teaming with a lot of people because what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to break the shred up a bit because there is so much political distrust from the beginning. Instead of packing everything in at once, we're going to have an educational component up front that's supposed to be the pre-charrette. And really, the educational component is just to lay the groundwork that makes strong towns, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Because their biggest issue is they can't afford it. They're shocked and amazed that they can't uh, extend any more services or maintain the infrastructure <laughs> they have today. And so instead of, and I know. And I, I said, and I said on the phone in our first class, I said, well, welcome to North America. And um, um, so they, um, they, we need to have that conversation. We need to have that candid conversation. And, and yeah. wait a minute. This is actually true. It was the way you set the ground on your curbside chat where you came to San Diego and said, here's the context. Mm-hmm. Here's what's happening. And then you kind of you know, dropped the mic like Dave Chappelle and walked away. <laughs> right. and, and everybody <laughs> was standing around saying, give us some hope. Right. Right. And so we, that, that, led us, that led me to thinking, why don't we just set the context and be honest straight up rather than trying to, to draft a code. Right. Um, and we'll separate and have this educational component up front. We're actually going to show up at the charrette with the first draft. Okay. They asked for a template. We use the smart code. We can we understand that we need to customize it to its place. So we're going to have our we're going to have our big outreach up front. Go, go do the draft, and then the charrette is going to be an actually intensive stakeholder, a local group, working technical groups working on the draft. So that we get to that second draft quicker, and instead of that lingering and losing all of our profits and money and time trying yeah, to do the yeah. political will of the of looking at the first draft so we're changing the charrette that's the big idea awesome let, let me just as a kind of a closing deal how, how do how do people get a hold of you how do they get a hold of placemakers i mean you guys got some props uh from duani as the best looking well, uh firm not me except for you <laughs> he did call you out although you, you're a good looking guy oh, thank you know. thank you very much you're beautiful too <laughs> no I, you're right i mean I sat there and he's, he talked about us in a variety of ways. Is good looking, but also as a, you know, um, despair- oh, innovative, yeah, innovative. Yeah. We're 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 seven principals in seven different cities. So how do you right. get a hold of us? Right. You know, we each Howard, Hazel, um, Nathan, Jeff, Ben, Scott at placemakers dot com. Yeah. We'll get you our email yeah. and uh, or, uh, on our website placemakers dot com. We have um you blink you click on our heads and you can get our phone numbers and everything. It's all um, on our website placemakers dot com. And uh, so it's not we're not hard to get a hold of, but we really would like for people to call us. Yeah, awesome. Well, you guys do fantastic work, and Thank you. in the realm I go, you know, you do some great blogging too. So well, it's always uh, a good communication effort coming out of there. Well, thanks, and and. 
you're an inspiration too. Your your blogs, your website, your network. Yeah. You know, I I go on there and I I try to you know get some information and learn from everybody because it's just a, a wonderful network and I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Well, we love having you. Thanks, Howard. Thank you. You take care. All right, at the Perry Hotel, I've got John Anderson from Chico with Anderson Kim. You know, you, do you want to, first of all, before, you, before I let you talk, um, John, John kind of took it upon himself a couple years ago. Uh, I don't know if he had pity for me or saw hope in me or it was just the Minnesota connection. But uh, you kind of took me under your wing as like, you know, my mentor at CNU. And I, I so greatly appreciate that because you've opened up all kinds of worlds for me. So, John, I don't think you've ever been on the podcast, but welcome. Well, thank you. It was entirely self-interest because <laughs> I got so much street cred because I introduced you to people. Oh, yeah. Well, mutual. Well, thank you so much, John. I really enjoyed talking <laughs> to Chuck Marone. What a guy. And you're really swell for having introduced him. Uh, that's great. Well, Okay. We're sitting here in the lobby, and I'm trying to pull people in and ask them one question. What's the, what's the big idea that you're working on? What's the thing that's got you excited? And the thing about CNU is that everybody's got an idea they're working on. So wh where are you guys at? Well, we're looking at new business models as we come out of the recession. Yeah. And so the, the, my big idea is, uh, oh, mine and David more correctly, is, is that we really do need a new business model to change the scale of projects. You know, it's pretty widely, you know, supported the idea that if we could work in smaller pieces, you know, the great little basic straightforward buildings that, that make great streets and great places, uh, that's kind of at a risk when the project scale becomes a block or two at a time. Right. And it's really hard to scale. You, you can't build like half the podium for the podium building. Right. Um, and you're you're committed to a, a very large thing, and if if you're making mistakes and anticipating you're going to learn along the way, you have to wait to your next full block podium building to put those those uh, things into play. But the problem is that the small project has a small amount of money available for uh, architecture, construction management, development, and which is why folks tend toward uh, aggregating into larger projects. Right. So last year, our big idea was let's conceive of projects in small pieces so that um, if things go sideways, you're not too badly damaged, mm -hmm. kind of a, uh, a defensive maneuver. Uh, and we've, we're seeing a fair amount of work come our way because of that, um, in multi, in particularly in apartments and multifamily stuff. But the, that wasn't quite, I think, what we needed. So now I think the big idea is we need a, a new crop of... Uh, of developers who are developer builders. And if they're maybe people that have an architecture degree and they're amazing urban designers, that should be your secret identity. Sure, sure. Um, if you're a builder, a guy with a pickup truck and, and in command of, of a, an army of committed drywallers, yeah. um, you actually have a lot more credibility in some circles. Right. So, you know, keep your good stuff to yourself. Build some small projects, build a reputation, uh, be very local. I think that, that cultivating uh, those kinds of colleagues is really the thing that's really exciting right now. And we've had a number of people, based on last year's talks and stuff, uh, who've been thinking about it, uh, approach us. So that's the big idea. It, it seems, I mean, I think for some context, 
you've, you've seen the development industry, in a sense, be dominated by the DR Hortons and the Centex homes and the, the big you know the, the big builders that come in and will do 2,000 units and they go and on day one they put in four million dollars of infrastructure and then come back and just you know pound out the homes. This is not the history of how cities were built historically. Well no and I think even if you could turn a blind eye to a lot of successful things in the past yeah um, I think going forward, um, you're going to make that big a bet. Um, uh, you you have to be right every time. Sure. I'm just not that smart. I, <laughs> and I, you're a smart guy, John. Yeah. I, I think the the point is nobody's that smart. I mean, you you you're 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 looking at an alternative to a model that is essentially gambling to get to a model that is more developing. Well, I, th- I think that the um, in in the modern world, we have an idea about how uh, things get built that more resembles uh, manufacturing than uh, what I think would be more productive. Maybe is gardening. Yeah. And with you know with gardening, it's trial and error. You're really excited about the tomatoes do very well on this side of the lot. You know, um, and you can you can recover from mistakes because it's not the only crop you planted. Sure. I mean, um, somebody like Horton or, or other large production builders, it's going to be corn on these 90 acres, you know, uh, until the soil gives out. Right. You know? And I think that the recognizing that these things are going to change over time and need to do it at a, at a pattern that's made up of smaller buildings, I think that's just smart in the long run. And also, I, you know, I've worked for great big companies. I really don't want to um, uh, repeat that education again. How, uh, how big is Chico? Oh, it's just under 100,000 people. So, you know, and I, I, to me, I, I've seen so many cities who kind of dove off the cliff doing things completely like disproportionate to uh, really what their tax base was. I mean, I, I saw one small town literally of 600 people do a 600-unit subdivision on the edge of town and essentially back the bonds for the developer. The developer uh, agreed to pay for the, the infrastructure uh, as the lot sold. But they used the, essentially the bonding power of the city to build it. And then, of course, the developer went belly up and walked away. But you were looking at something that was you know, completely disproportionate at build-out to the size and scale of the city. Well, even, even if uh, he hadn't gone belly up, yeah. um, I, I sincerely doubt that a residential subdivision was going to carry its own weight when it came to taking care of those roads and sewers. Without and a doubt. Yeah. But, but you know, to me, you seem to be talking about a model that is more... Uh, I guess more fit for the pragmatic, maybe we say broke city of today. Uh, you know, the one who has to make more out of less. Well, but I think also our culture's got some bruises on it when it comes to building. Not, it's not just the economics. Yeah. Because you can go and make the factual case with you know uh, for the city helping with bond financing on something that is has tremendous upside for the city. But I think we're at a place where. Um, as we spend time as developers and builders uh, asking permission and explaining and asking permission again and explaining and a very small amount of time actually building um, that we don't uh, we don't do things that are visible and substantial enough at a local scale where people can get to understand what it is we do so I think that the the decision to you know back the 600 unit development of the edge of town is made um, 
with a really distorted set of information. Right. Um, the uh, if you went to a new dentist and that guy, you know, they cleaned your teeth, they filled a couple of little cavities, um, and when it came time to have a root canal, you're going to go back to the guy who didn't hurt you too bad the first couple of times. Right. Right. So. Uh, so the developer that comes in that proposes there'll be six root canals and maybe we need to extract a few wisdom teeth right away. Right. Uh, I think that there's a tendency to want to trust that person with an undue level of, of ability. I think we assume precision and ability, not sure. in evidence. Right, right. Because we want to believe. Right. We, we have aspirations for our town. This is going to be great. Uh, when people get into that kind of situation, the city council is not, uh, you know, the question before the council is, you know, Shall we roll the dice on a boondoggle that may embarrass us all and indebt our children to the, you know, for three generations? And that wasn't, you know, no one called that question. <laughs> right, right. And what they were saying was, our town seems to have the opportunity to grow. Um, we might have the little league coaches of tomorrow moving here. There are a lot of very good reasons that were put in play. It's just bad math. Yeah. So. To get away from bad math, I think we need to, to do it in smaller pieces of homework, and people can grade us and, and the like. And I think put it, to put it into a great big piece of risk uh, puts the, the, the bar for who should be a developer way too high. We're going to have real mere mortals do this stuff. Sure, sure, absolutely. You, last night you put out a call for interns. <laughs> I, I mean, I, th- I think it was. Yeah. I think it, but I think there was some seriousness in there. I mean, you, yeah. you, you are uh, a person who I think just intellectually enjoys cultivating, uh, you know, cultivating quality people to succeed you, and uh, you know, and I'm talking like intergenerational. I mean, you, I, I see you. I, I tease you sometimes, uh, but I see you as this very kind-hearted person who does care about what comes next. So, so I'm, I'm trying to set you up here. Where do people get a hold of you if they want to, A, work with you, which I hope, I hope everybody listening who has a project calls you. But um, what, what about these kind of young, energetic people who say, I want to you know, learn at the feet of a master for a while? Are you, are you seriously yeah. interested in an intern? Well, it, it's, I'm not proud of, of uh, <laughs> some of the things I've, I've, I've built over the years. and. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm in my mid fifties. I, I'm on the you know the downhill slide. So um, I think that uh, for my part, I need to work really hard to help cultivate some other people to do this stuff. Yeah. Because um, I haven't been able to do enough fast enough. I've got some really painful learning experiences. I prefer other people didn't have. Sure, sure. It's just sort of the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, if you if we go wander off in in. Uh, down a certain path, and I'm I am attacked and maimed by by bandits. Yeah, yeah. And I for you know I come out the other side, and I forget to tell people, don't go there. Right, right. You know what yeah. kind of guy does that? Exactly. So, th- yeah, there be monsters there. This yeah. this is difficult stuff, and I think that the uh, you got to start at it when you're young. Um, you should do it, regardless of idealistic or or enthusiastic you are. You need to be really sober about how many years this stuff could take off the back end of your life. Right. So, um, I, and it's it's a, it's always better if you've got uh, another person you're doing an ambitious thing with. Sure. Um, because they can keep you honest. Because they can remind you, you know, you really did promise to be there for a morning meeting. Right. And I think that the uh, we do need to kind of in, invest uh, uh, some fresh energy into a situation which, you know, for uh, for us boomers, um, 
if I'm not doing that, I get a little tired and burned out. Right, right. Well, I've seen the developments you've done, and if you, whatever lessons you learned, you've come out on the other side to do some some absolutely beautiful things. I, I would uh, I would move to Chico tomorrow <laughs> to live in your development. Uh, it is well. It's a sunnier gorgeous. version of Duluth without the lake. <laughs> uh, you guys, you don't get snow, are you, t- Sam? Uh, well, you can visit snow if if you you know having withdrawal or something. Okay. But, but no, we don't get snow. We get about 28 inches of rain, and it happens in about six weeks. Okay. Um, you know, so winter is green and lush. How would uh, how would people get a hold of you? Uh, you can find us at andersonkim.com. Perfect. Uh, the uh, my cell phone number is up uh, uh, on that website. Okay. Um, and we're you know various conferences and things uh, throughout the year. New partners for smart growth or Congress for New Urbanism. Uh, and uh, oh, you could also Google. Uh, the Dark Arts of Developing Small Projects. Uh, there was a lecture uh, that uh, we did for the uh, folks at University of Miami's uh, Masters in Urbanism and, and Real Estate Development. You sent it to me. I watched it. It was very good. Well, there, uh, there are some questions from off-camera from a, like a local Cuban architect. Uh, I think his wife's the dean there. Okay. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a good, it was a good presentation. John Anderson, thanks so much. Sure, thanks, Jack. All right, welcome back to the podcast, Ian Rasmussen. Thanks so much for having me, Chuck. <laughs> now, you were reluctant to go on the podcast because you said you didn't want to make everybody mad like last time. But then you tell me this story about how you were inspiring people uh, or people were coming up to you saying, I heard you on the podcast and you changed my life. Well, yeah, that sort of changed my uh, feelings about going on tape with you. Uh, I had always thought that we were just speaking out into the ether and uh, the headphones were just for fun. <laughs> but uh, well, uh, apparently we're changing hearts and minds. Well, it, it, I always have that thought, too. Like, nobody listens to this. And then you get to a place like this and there's all... I mean, I, I, more people listen to the podcast than read the blog, I swear, because I have all these... People coming up saying, "Oh, I heard you on the podcast. I heard you on the podcast." Everybody's got so much time at the gym. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, maybe that's what it is. Boy, if people are working out, listening to this. Of course, when I go jogging, I listen to audiobooks and podcasts. So, yeah. I guess I can't can't Jones off of that. Um, how's your Congress been so far? I'm having a really nice time. Yeah. Um, new strategy. Yeah. Picked one place to stay the entire time mm-hmm. and let the Congress pass me by. Okay. I've literally been sitting in the lobby of the Peary Hotel for four days, and I have had the opportunity to see everybody for just a few minutes without trying. Yeah. Yeah. It's been wonderful. And I've gotten a lot out of it. Yeah. You were uh, one of the stars of our debate the other night. Yeah. Then you went and spun uh, spun music last night. And those were my two big projects for the Congress. That's what, great. Uh, what, what, how are you going to top that tonight? What's tonight? So some guy was going to talk about, I don't know, why didn't I take uh, the 4 p.m. plane home? Uh, <laughs> are we going to watch Arrested Development? You know something? I, I'm being totally honest. Yeah. I am shocked that this lobby is not full of bloopies yeah, yeah. who are just dying to see season four. Here's the funny thing is that I was, you know, I'm, I'm not a TV person, but you told me I have to watch Arrested Development. So I, I watched the first episode. I'm like, this is, this is hilarious. I watched the all th- first three seasons in about two weeks. 
because it was just fa- it was fantastic. My first night um, watching it, I think I did eight episodes in a sitting. Yeah, like, without even going to the bathroom. Yeah, I've. I, it was one of those things where, like, oh, on, of course, Amazon Prime. Bingo. Uh, yeah, I'm watching, and then like one episode ends, and I'm like, okay, just click the next one, click right. the next one. Uh, yeah. And for the seasoned listener, you'll remember our Amazon Prime podcast from a few months ago. Precisely. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so like, I gotta go to bed, but oh no, just one episode more. There's an insight about that show that I got from one of the you know, behind the scenes or blooper reels on one of the DVDs back when that was how you watched them. Yeah, and it was that when they first started taping the show, they didn't have the Ron Howard narration. Oh, okay. And the show completely fell apart. Uh, test audiences said they basically had no idea what was going on and didn't find the show that funny. Uh-huh. And what they figured out was that the jokes were coming so fast that if you didn't kind of string people along and like help them out to understand exactly why it was all so funny, yeah. that it, it, just, it went right by everybody. Wow. And um, this is not a spoiler alert, but I will say, if, if you haven't seen season four yet... I mean, you basically could not watch it if you haven't seen the first three seasons. It will not occur as funny to you. And even as a big fan of the show who's seen the, the first three seasons many times, yeah, it's complex. It's like it really, it's going to take a few a few times through to get the most out of season four. Okay. Did you um, get some daddy leather? Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching. I actually, so, you know, something that says "Dad loves leather." Dad loves leather, right? Yeah. You mean daddy leather? Well, I was going to buy something. I guess you could have called me "Buy Curious." I was. Uh, I I just caught a little bit. I was actually knew we were going to do this today. So last night, as I'm like trying to shut my brain off, I uh, I watched a, a one episode, and that was the one. Oh, it's um, so good. Oh, it's just hilarious. Um, all right, uh, Ian Rasmussen, our anal-rapist. Um <laughs> I almost got sued for those business cards. <laughs> all right, uh, thanks, man. We'll Talk go to watch you soon. some. We'll go watch some Arrested Development. You blow hard. Hey, Lindsay, are you forgetting that I was a professional twice over, an analyst and a therapist, the world's first analyst? Yes, and you were almost arrested for those business cards. Yes, no, it did not look good on paper. So, Tobias chose to pursue a common interest with his daughter. Oh, I hope so. Um, I'm looking for something that says, Dad likes leather. Something that says, Leather Daddy? Oh, is there such a thing? 